Welcome back to the Casey Adams Show. Today, I am joined by a good friend of mine, Kasson Ward, the co-founder and CMO of Hubi. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Kasson. Thank you for having me, man. And uh, welcome to Las Vegas. Thank you so much, brother. I know, uh, you know, we're here at the Blue Wire Studios. Your first time here. What do you think? It's epic, man. I'm looking around. And honestly, I mean, the amount of times I've come to the win and, you know, late nights, fun uh, business dinners and lunch, I've never seen it. So it's really <laughs> oh. cool to have this... Uh, this here in Las Vegas. And I mean, again, I've seen your podcast here. It's an incredible space. We're excited to dive in. So, you know, we, we've known each other for quite some time and I've been, it's been so incredible to see what you and your team have built at Hubie. When we were running media kits, we were, we partnered on so many things that we'll get into. But for those that might not know what Hubie is, I'd love for you to give a high level overview for the audience. Yeah, for sure, man. So Hubie is uh, your home on the web, you know, especially if you're a content creator, uh, you know, an athlete, a celebrity, anyone who's creating a lot on social platforms and, you know, also have, um, you know, a website of their own with their own clothing products and merch lines or products that they're selling. Um, anything that you're pushing and promoting online is getting very, um, you know, fragmented and a lot harder to find, including your audiences, right? So you might have an audience on Instagram, you might have an audience on TikTok and on Snapchat, and they're all digesting and absorbing the content you're providing on those platforms. Um, but where else are they going to go and find everything else that you have going on? Uh, especially, you know, if you look at someone like yourself, right? Uh, you're a busy yeah. guy. You've got a podcast. <laughs> you've got uh, a number of different social channels with, you know, high followings, a lot of audience yeah. members to keep up with. And you also have your businesses as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. So where do you keep all of that? And, you know, it almost goes back to uh, the old days, if if you remember uh, the about.me pages. Yep. Um, but it's got, you know, a little bit of almost like your online resume part of it. Um, it's your home on the web, right? So you put that link in your bio. You can, you know, share it in a newsletter, you know, in your email signature. Uh, you can tweet it, put it on your stories. It's really just kind of your corner of the internet. I love it. And I mean, since we've known each other, I've seen it grow and evolve so much as someone that, again, like we were partnered on media kits and, and different integrations. And for those that might not know like you guys are more than just home on the web you're the home of the web for so many top creators athletes i mean you have people like jeff bezos as a, a user of Hubi, to tom brady to, and i'll let you name a couple more people just to give context to the audience but you have some incredible not only just notable people but people that are using it for the purpose in which you guys want it to be used to like help aggregate your home on the web um and i'd love for you to just talk about some of the high level I don't like guess, but the users you have on yeah, Hubie, yeah, yeah. Um, just to give context to the people that, you know, might not know what it is. No, for sure. So, you know, when we first came out of the, the, the woodwork here and, you know, launched the company, it, you know, was really based on, you know, what we saw working with, um, you know, other platforms, right? We saw Linktree coming into the market uh, during the pandemic and, and the Black Lives Matter movement. And we also saw uh, a really big hole in the market where, you know, we felt we could do it better, but not just because, you know, there's this gut instinct telling us that, but because we were friends with a lot of top creators, right? Um, you know, the Vlog Squad kids and, and you know, David Dobrik, uh, Scotty Sire, Todd Smith, you know, all those yeah. kids, right? Um, we've been hanging out with them for years and not just them, but, you know, again, they're, they're names that you can kind of lead back to to understand how we got here. And, uh, we just saw a need for, you know, all of the content, all of the businesses, all of the online work that they were doing and how we could house that better for them. 
So we were building, you know, these almost like landing pages by hand at first. <laughs> and, and what year yeah. was this in terms of like the origin story of how Hubi came about? Uh, it's got to be 2020. Okay. Yeah. So 2020, um, you know, we're in Las Vegas for the pandemic and, you know, we, again, are just almost like focused in, dialed in on, on building these, you know, landing pages for these big names. And uh, one of them actually at the start was, uh, was 50 Cent. And, you know, that's really when we began to see, you know, this is something that I think more and more um, high level creators and kind of the top of, you know, the line type of creators in addition to celebrities, musicians, athletes, uh, you name it, this is a need, you know, within within the market that Linktree obviously wasn't filling. And yep. so we wanted to, you know, kind of use that as our, as our, you know, a mile marker for us, right? Yep. And so we wanted to build for that, you know, unique um, demographic people, right? So top name individuals. Yep. And so we really spent, I, I guess, the first year doing that is building specifically for them. And you know, as we started doing that and keeping it, you know, more invite only and exclusive, uh, more and more people wanted to be a part of it. So it was almost like this, uh, this secret club that, you know, people <laughs> didn't know why they wanted to be a part of it, but knew that they wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. And since then, you know, we really, again, have seen the need expand, not just from the top, you know, best names in the world. But, you know, if you look at the rise of the creator economy, you know, small creators including people that may just have you know a few thousand followers on instagram are becoming businesses yep. and so this is a, a place for them to again call home and and build their online empire i love that and when you were launching hubi you know as you said like you had a lot of these top names on the platform at the beginning and for a lot of entrepreneurs like that's the epitome of what they would want right like they, yeah. at first you want anyone to use your product but when it comes to a launch strategy that involves top talent Talk to me about, you know, you, your co-founders past and like how the relationships were, you know, such a part of the strategy and how you guys executed that successfully in their early days and really just like what that whole strategy was overall. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, myself and my, my co-founder, our CEO, Jordan Greenfield, um, neither of us are product guys, right? We, we've got zero background in terms of, you know, writing code or even understanding necessarily how to map out a vision board for product right <laughs> um it's something that you know in in our past where we've um you know tried and failed a, a number of times and uh one of my other best friends nick perolo who's our now cto he was um, a big dog um, especially for his age at first republic bank he was a cto over there and i had, I had been begging him to uh come write code and, and build products for us uh for a while and finally when he kind of saw some of the traction that we were building, you know, again, with our own hands, yeah. I was creating like WordPress website landing pages <laughs> for these kids. And so he jumped in and, and he really, you know, took lead on the actual product side. But, you know, in terms of getting these big names on and the reason, again, I mentioned Nick and I mentioned the lack of experience that we have on the product element, we all really, um, you know, flat, essentially flattered each other, right? Yeah. And we're able to build off of each other's um, backgrounds and experience and knowledge and you know, Jordan and myself have always been very heavily, um, you know, kind of on the same page with how we feel about, you know, relationships and relationship building. And so for the last, I want to say at this point, six to seven years, it's just been a focus on grow your network, build relationships, do right by others, provide as much value by others without asking for anything in return. Yep. And, you know, living by the lesson of, you know, no one owes you anything, right? And you kind of 
one of the coolest things that I've seen, you know, from the start here is you, you get to have this feel and understanding and, and you're definitely, you know, someone that fits in this bracket of there's people that, you know, you can do favors and provide value for. We're going to reciprocate that, you know, at the right time. If, uh, again, you kind of go into that situation yep. without, without feeling like you're going to get anything out of it. Right. And there's going to be a lot of times that you do provide a lot of favors and values <laughs> and you get nothing in return and either you can sit and be patient or, you know, continue to move on. Right. Yep. And so, Jordan and myself have both been doing a lot of favors and a lot of values for a lot of big names for a long time. And so when we did come out with this, you know, platform, um, you know, we, we would see some of these people using a competitor and we'd say, hey, can you uh, throw this in your bio? The coolest yeah. part is at that point, they weren't doing a favor necessarily. They just loved it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, the thought process we had with starting with um, these top names, these, these, you know, kind of almost like larger than life figures yep. was the idea that like you just said everyone kind of wants that as their goal and the reason for it is why do you want these people on your platform well because they're going to be the ones that migrate the audience mm -hmm. right they're going to migrate their people and so instead of starting from the you know ground up you start from kind top of the top down, down yeah. right and so that's really where i think um you know that that kind of core concept came but as we had it, you know, invite only for so long, and it still is, you know, for the most part, um, you know, there's times where we talked about getting rid of that and just completely opening up the floodgates and allowing it to be a thing. But yeah, why is that? Because I, and I think there's, there's so many positive aspects of invite only, and you guys have done such a great job at that. But thinking about, like, you know, if there's an entrepreneur out there when they're thinking about, you know, you see things like Clubhouse in the early days that went super mega viral and it yep. was invite only, everyone wanted, everyone wanted in, and that, created this effect of exclusive access and made you want it more. And I think the same thing, you know, is for Hubi where like, I'll have some friends that are like, Hey, like, I know you connected with Hubi guys. Like, how can I get a Hubi link? And there's that level of want because you can't have it and it's powerful. What made you guys launch it that way and continue to keep it that way? So, you know, especially at the very beginning, um, we had no, and, and it's, we had kind of an idea of it, but we had no, um, monetization model, right? And everyone wanted us, you know, if you're thinking about investors to just start charging a monthly subscription, right? Yeah. And for us, I mean, right, well, that's not going to be cool, one. Um, but two, it's like, you know, when we're building a business for some of the biggest things in the industry, do you think we want to ask them for $10 a month, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the idea was to keep it invite only um, to create kind of more of, again, um, something that, that was unique, especially in a very crowded online world, right? You know, there's so much out there and there's a link tree for everything. There's an Instagram yeah. for everything. There's a, you know, TikTok and a this and that. And so being able to see something, especially what you're looking at now with like Twitter and Instagram getting um, kind of rid of the blue checks and, and just opening that up to subscription, right? Um, what's going to help you stand out where people kind of know that you're uh, a more serious or more refined creator in the space, right? And so for now, you know, in terms of the way that we're opening it up is not just looking at, are you, you know, a superstar, a mega, you know, rock star, are you, you know, Tom Brady, but it's, are you someone who's creating quality content and, you know, not just somebody who is just, you know, again, gonna use and abuse this for yeah. what it's not necessarily built for. Right. Totally. And, and I know uh, like you guys have so many great people on it and not even to just talk about them, but I'm curious to know you as a founder, right? Someone mm -hmm. like Tom Brady puts your product in his Instagram bio or across all social channels. 
How does that feel individually as well as from a company perspective when some of these big names, again, Tom Brady, Jeff Bezos, you name it, are using your product? Because again, I know that could be such a highlight for so many founders and you guys, it seems that are, are getting some world-class people on the platform every day just because they love the product. But talk to me about how you feel individually when you see someone like Tom Brady using it's, Hubi. It's so funny, man. I was just talking um, to, I want to say, I mean, probably just someone on my team about this other day. I'm like, do you remember when we used to get excited? <laughs> you know, um, it's so funny because especially the very early on, I mean, like you said, it's a dream. It's a dream to be able to, create something out of nothing and then have your childhood heroes or people that are even still considered your heroes today um, be using it and like actively loving it, right? It's, it's bizarre. It's a really yeah. bizarre thing to see. And it's a crazy feeling inside for sure. Um, but yeah, early on, I mean, we would, it would just be like, that was our day. Like, <laughs> like we'd see this person come on and it was just like, we need to go celebrate. Yeah. And, and especially if they were like a musician we would just be jamming their music in the office <laughs> or, um, you know, obviously trying to tell all of our friends about it. I mean, it's the coolest thing ever, but you know, that momentum and that word of mouth, you know, drove it to so many people's uh, hands and, and we have so many amazing, amazing, talented people on um, that sometimes now it's like we get excited because we just find smaller people that are just extremely talented. We're discovering them just because of our platform and it's cool to see their uprise. Um, but, you know, I, I will say like, it's always at scale. Like, you know, the first, you know, time you start anything, right? It's like the first person with a hundred thousand followers that starts using it, you're going to be ecstatic. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, that scales up to now someone with a million followers just started using it yep. and you're even happier. And then 10 million, then you hit this bracket where you really can't go any further. So you have to look for other things that, you know, drive that excitement. And it's, you know, how are we again, providing value to the users that we have now? Um, but you know, there's, there's definitely some people that, you know, I'll be personal fans of that might not again, be so, you know, popular and huge and yeah. I'll see them start using it. And I'll, I'll freak out and yeah. you know, I'm listening <laughs> to that song or whatever. Yeah. For the next there's still week. that yeah. aspect of, you know, that the people that you admire using your product is exciting. Yeah. Um, when it comes to your background prior to Hubie, like, I'd love to dive in. Like, where'd you grow up? What was some early childhood experiences like in your life? Yeah, super unconventional background for sure. I'm not sure if you and I have ever yeah, uh, dug into it too, too deeply either. Uh, so I was originally born and raised in a small town, Durango, Colorado, Durango and Telluride. Some people are more familiar with Telluride. Yeah, I've are, been in Telluride. Yeah, so gorgeous, gorgeous place. Yeah. Very small town kid. Um, you know, my dream growing up was to uh, be an Olympic skier. And, I did you not know, know any of this. Yeah, <laughs> and so that was, that was what I was going to go and do. And, you know, I want to say... When I got to around like eighth grade, um, you would, if you had like a three, five, you know, you could take off the winter semester of school. And uh, I was on the ski team to, you know, try to get again, as far as I could in wow. junior Olympics. And so when did you things. start skiing? Oh, two years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely, man. And so I, I mean, I took it very seriously at the start. Um, but it's funny, you know, when I got to high school, um, you would have that winter semester off and I didn't do my online school and just kind of started messing around a little bit. So I kind of got to a point where I'm like, there's no way I'm going to, you know, be, you know, Gus Kenworthy, who's on the, the <laughs> painting out there and I grew up skiing with or, you know, really? Do, no yeah, way. Yeah. It's oh, so yeah, a Telluride boy. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean, you just kind of start to, to understand it. And what, what for you, cause I think as an athlete myself, right. I, you know, I, I'm five foot six and I had this aspirations to be in the NFL, right? Like, 
there comes a time, and for me, I ended up unfortunately getting injured playing football, a neck brace for six months, and that dream of whether that's playing college lacrosse or football just kind of got stopped from a physical limitation. But I think yeah. so many times it's more mental than it is physical in terms of your own self limitations, and or also you just change focus, and that's not a priority anymore. Right. What for you? Like when did that? change of priority when it comes to skiing olympics and like what was that mental journey like for you because i i think it's not an overnight yeah. shift it's more so something that you learn to realize the uh, the different thoughts that you're either accepting or going through no it's a it's a great question and you know i, I can look back on it and say you know it's for this x y and z reason right i think I, I i didn't have probably the the best group of friends around me to to continue to push me <laughs> to not quit, right? But once I did, and you know, again, during this time, I had dropped out of high school. Wow. So didn't have enough credits to graduate, um, which was what my guidance counselor was telling me. So she's saying, you know, you're gonna go to summer school until you graduate, or um, you're gonna be a fifth year senior. And, you know, I, I thought long and hard about all of this. And, you know, again, still kind of stuck to the skiing thing. Well, if I'm not gonna be on the team and be competing like that, I'm going to go work up the ski area, right? And then skiing and work became kind of one and the same. Yeah. And so I, I thought long and hard, you know, because obviously I was crushed inside. I'm like, well, do I want to, you know, continue to work at ski resorts and like not be kind of the, you know, the athlete behind it, but, you know, still enjoy it. And, you know, I, I thought back to what does everyone want to do um, when they grow up and it's, you know, what you want to do as a kid. And I had to think long and hard. I'm like, well, when I was a kid, you know, like a young, young kid, like eight, nine years old, I want it to be a rock star, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm obviously not going to be a rock star, but that <laughs> world looks so interesting to me. Yeah. And so when I finally was out of school and I was working scary and I was miserable, um, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go figure out how to break into this world of being a rock star. So that's when I ended up moving out, moving out of town. When you say rock star, like what, what was the mind frame of like what you wanted to go do like did you have a exact so, idea when so you say when, when you say like hey i want to go be a rock star was there a, a plan or like what were you riding on slash what was the inspiration that I led to that I move mean, i didn't know anything and again <laughs> you've been to tell you such a small town that like again thinking of the idea of somebody like tom brady or jeff bezos so like that's like alien you know, level <laughs> because you're in such a bubble and it's so far removed from like big cities that you don't see a lot of yeah. that stuff right and so i had no idea how any of this stuff worked i thought like, i'm gonna go be a producer engineer I, I didn't know what that meant yeah right and so i found this um internship in boston i was 17 years old and so i moved from colorado to boston by myself wow um yeah wild just by yourself by 17 my, yeah, where were you wild. living i was living my first apartment was in beacon hill okay. in boston yeah it was above the train, the subway right there, like shake. Did you know anyone in Boston? Didn't know anyone. Man. Really? Yeah. It was wow. Wildest year of my life. I mean, I was just, I, I didn't know what to do. So yeah. I just poured myself. And you, work. so you dropped out of high school and never went back? Never went back, yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Dropped out when I was 15. I lived on my own since I was 15. And then. Um, and was that due to the skiing, in which led to like lack of going to school? Or like, what was the core reason? Yeah, I got into some trouble too okay. during that during that period. Yeah, definitely got into some trouble. Got arrested a lot. Okay. Wasn't the best kid after yeah. that, you know. I, I think the again the the sports and you know being part of of any team or like an after school you know uh, club or anything like that. I mean that it keeps you out of trouble and yeah, you know once that was kind of 
you know, Absolutely. off the plate. I just started running around like a wild kid. Yeah. Um, so definitely got into some trouble and, you know, I, everything kind of combined just led to me saying, yeah. I don't want to do this. And, you know, it's not that my, my parents were just kind of like, you know, there's like whatever you feels right. Yeah. You know, which is, which is cool to see. But, but yeah, I mean, when I, when I moved to Boston, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of music. I thought I did. So I got this uh, internship for, you know, audio engineering and music production and, um, I'd do like this one-on-one mentorship with someone in the studio uh, once a week. And then I'd go and kind of sit and check out studio sessions. And this studio was super interesting, man, is uh, they had a sister studio in L.A. It's called Sanctum Sound. Yeah. Uh, the one in L.A. was Serenity West Recording. So all of the big names while they're on tour would come stop by the studio to, you know, finish up an album or yeah. something. And so we'd have like Justin Bieber down there. Rune five and, and you were like in these rooms or yeah like, so just you know shadowing in the back <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah not doing much but that's uh, powerful but, like coming from a small town like yeah. i can relate right like when you were like coming from a small town in virginia like i did and either when you're at an event and you you see someone that is just this larger than life figure in your mind you kind of just take a step back and realize like the rooms you're in and it, it starts to change you in terms of either what's possible or just makes the world seem more like more human and yeah. more real and just your your world shifts and your perspective changes so quickly so like you're in these rooms you're shadowing these yeah. figures how did that change your perspective coming from a small town and how did you end up not maximizing that but just cultivating these relationships in a organic way because i know you've been so great at doing that yeah i mean i, I think it, it definitely teaches you one of the big lessons, which is, you know, don't just jump up and ask for a picture all the time. <laughs> and, you know, I think it also teaches you lessons that, you know, these people are human. Um, you know, they're, they're not um, some mythical creature that's yeah. kind of out there, which is, again, what you think when you come from a small town and you're young and all you, all you have access to for, you know, seeing that type of stuff is, you know, through a TV screen or something, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I still didn't really – I remember when I was learning, you know, audio engineering and, and production, I'm like, this is not what I thought I wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to like do the business stuff, like almost like the A and R stuff or like the, yeah. the relationship driving stuff, right? And so funny, man. I remember the studio manager came to one of the the one on one mentoring sessions I was having, uh, which is you know again when I'm sitting at the decks and like learning all this stuff. Yep. And he's like, "Yo, Cass, can I talk to you in the hall real quick?" And I, I thought for sure I was like, um, "Like this dude hates me. I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, he's gonna fire me or something or tell me to leave." And he starts talking. He's like, yo, you're really bad. You're really bad at this. So I don't know if this is going to work out for you. And I was like, oh, man, I knew it. I knew it. He's like, but you're, you're really great at talking. Um, and I'd love to, you know, actually give you a job, hire you as, like, wow. my assistant studio manager. Right? And it's, you know, nothing crazy. I think it's, like, 25 bucks an hour or something yeah. like that. Right? Um, and so that's when I started to really kind of learn the differences and, you know, what's what in the space. And. I did that for a couple of years and definitely, I mean, helped me get to know people, helped me yeah. get to understand, um, I think, a lot of, you know, the world that we're in now, for sure. So how did you and Jordan meet? Such, uh, yeah, it's, it's so, we, um, we met, <laughs> it's so funny, we always, we always joke back and forth about it. So I guess to back up a little bit, right when I kind of finished up um, working in music, and, and this was around the time, so like Charlie Puth and all those guys were going to Berkeley, and that was my group of friends, you know, it was like Ben Lusher from Third Story now, uh, Charlie. Um, Charlie oh, Puth, you yeah. guys were friends? Oh, yeah, yeah, No yeah. way. Oh, yeah, big time, man. And so. In, Char- wait, in what setting? You said 
I mean, in and out of the studio. Yeah. Wow, so one of great. one of the kids I was managing, Harry Harry Dunkley, we called him DJ Choppa Dunk. Shout out Harry. <laughs> um, him and him and Charlie, I think, went to high school together. Okay. So we were we were all still, I mean, funny kids. But yeah, I mean, that, it was around that time um, that I started to kind of understand startups and. This is, I mean, Charlie was still, this is way before like See You Again and all yeah. of that, right? I think it was right around the time that he had signed with Ellen. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I had started managing some kids and started understanding and hearing the word startup here and there. And then, you know, I ended up getting pulled into a couple of different projects. One of them was Fasten, which was a rideshare company, uh, similar to Uber and Lyft. We raised about $28 million for that. Uh, we were in Boston and Austin, and that ended up uh, getting, you know, sold to a company in Russia. And wow. so I had this kind of interim, um, but during around that kind of, you know, in between of trying to figure stuff out, I was working a little bit with Forbes. They, they were doing their Forbes 30 under 30 summit in Boston. Yep. And one of my good friends, uh, Julian Fialco, a really great kid. He, he's uh, in the, the venture capital space. Yeah, I know now. Julian. Yeah. Do you know yeah, Julian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great kid. Really great kid. So I was actually friends with Julian before um, Jordan. Okay. And um, I had, you know, an all access pass to... Uh, Forbes 30 to 30. I think Zed was playing that night and Julian and I both went together and uh, he gave me a call. He's like, you know, going to be going. Don't know if, uh, you know, you know anyone there, come stop by. And so I think he ended up getting me backstage or something. So we started hanging out all night, right? Yeah. And he's like, yo, um, my buddy Jordan's going to come pick us up and take us back to essentially my place. I was having people over there. So Jordan, funny enough, came and picked us up, uh, me, Julian, and a couple of girls. I was just, you know, having fun, being young and dropped us off and didn't come inside uh, that was the first time i met jordan <laughs> i always tell people i met jordan on a boat but he always goes oh back to God, that story. he's like so I, is I drove you and julian home you guys are drunk <laughs> uh, it's so funny man yeah. uh, but the next day i was with um i was with amari stoudemire yes jules uh julian fialco and aisha curry um with randall lane who's the editor-in-chief of forbes and steve Tony. uh we we're going over to uh the vip i think food festival like the last night of forbes 30 and um, funny enough, Sam Swan, who's now a um, huge part of Hubi, you know, our, our chief creative officer, everything you see online, uh, you know, whether it's social, which is phenomenal, social content. Way. Yeah. All of that. You guys Sam, are so man. on it. <laughs> Sam is such a beast, dude. Such a beast. But funny enough, him and Jordan went to high school together. And so we were walking on this boat and Jordan's like, Sam Swan. And I was like, oh, Jordan. So Jordan had started Hubi at that time. And um, he was like, dude, you got to come to the office. And and hear all about it and i think it was a couple of weeks later i walked into the office and is uh, a lot different than what it is today yeah. but you know i was like this is awesome and you know i was trying to start a company at the same time and he's like let's let's throw this into the hat do it together i had been spending money like i i you know still had a job and yeah. so finally he was like dude throw your throw your mattress you know on my floor and let's grind it out wow so we lived in a studio apartment for a little bit and grinded it out that's incredible and I, and I know just from that moment, though, and, and just for the sake of time today, I know we don't have too much time in the, in the studio. When it comes to Hubi in the early days from going from like, hey, you're grinding it out on, you know, one one bedroom studio apartment to then having like these big names come on and like an incredible creative director and just like really building their brand, putting it out there. What was the, what has been the transitionary process of the business when it comes to just, you know, you guys working on it together to building out the team to then raising capital and to really getting the brand known. Like I'd love to just go through some of the the key points in your mind that occurred throughout the journey thus far and, and what's led you to where you guys are today. Yeah. I mean, so 
we ended up, I want to say this was Thanksgiving of 2020, going into 2021. And we were sitting down at uh, Thanksgiving dinner and we got a phone call from, uh, from one of our lead investors who became a lead investor who essentially said he was wiring us uh, you know, a quarter million dollars uh, the next day to go and build this and launch it, right? And that was like that first iteration. And that was the first glimpse of hope I remember. I mean, we've had in years. <laughs> People don't realize it took two years before that. Um, I didn't make a single dollar. Yeah. Jordan didn't make a dollar. We lived in one bedroom together. Yeah. Uh, nobody believed in us. We had thousands of investor meetings, thousands. Yeah. We had thousands of no's, thousands. And so that even just, it was a quarter million dollars that changed our lives. And then we went and de- did everything we said we were going to do with that small investment. We built the product. We launched it with a couple of big names and went back and said, hey, we did it. Now what? And they ended up giving us millions of dollars. Uh, so that was the other pivotal point um, is that probably the spring going, that, that spring coming uh, or following. And so that was where our lives really fully changed yep. is when we had enough capital to go, you know, hire people to go, you know, market the product to get more and more people on here to do our own thing um and then you know the the next step was um probably 50 cent at um at, in david's backyard i don't think you came to that i know kieran yeah came. kieran yeah, was there yeah. i was not at the event what yeah. about that event specifically it just i mean that was kind of like our you know we put the flag on the moon like hey yeah. we got here we're here now right and that just kind of solidified, I think, for us and gave a really warm welcoming intro to a lot of other big names out there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as we kind of push forward, um, you know, we've hit a lot of a lot of roller coaster moments. I don't think a lot of founders fully understand um, until you kind of get past, you know, a few a few rounds of capital where it's like you get these really strong ups and downs. Right. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know we're in a really interesting place right now with, you know, the markets and where the world is at, that, you know, there's been a lot of, oh shit moments. And I got to be so, you know, thankful and grateful for those oh shit moments right now, because, you know, if you continue to push and push and push and don't ever look at it as something that, you know, you're going to quit on, you're always going to come out on top. And so I want to say these last six months have been, probably the most um changing in a in a good way for us that took a lot of stress and anxiety in order to get there yeah. um but i could not be more excited about what's to come and where we're yeah at. i mean what's your there's a couple more questions i want to ask but just overall all things creator economy right like i for those that are listening that may not know i, I built a company media kits easiest way for creators to create a media kit, real-time data and analytics. And I mentioned it a little bit before, but when we were running it prior to us getting acquired, we were integrated with Hubi and like just the way that I learned how to speak to creators and about creator tools, creators needs, like there's so many different tools out there. The creator economy is shifting so fast, you know, with, you know, the verifications shifting with Elon running Twitter, with just all these different things that are happening across meta, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. And it's just a, very fast pace changing environment. I would love to just get your thoughts and just the Hoobies team thoughts on just all things creator economy, where you see it going, where it is today. Um, because you guys talk to and work with so many high level creators that are, you know, really at the forefront of change when it comes to like what happens top down. 
Um, so let's talk about it. Like, what are your thoughts and like, where do you see the creator economy right now? Yeah. Whether that's from a funding perspective, just a creator and creator businesses and, and all, everything that, you know, is within that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as more of, you know, you have more and more of these platforms opening up, right? Which just is propelling the industry, the creator economy to grow. And it's going to propel individuals to grow. What you have in a unique world right now that we live in is so far different than just four or five years ago. And because of these massive global changes, right? And again, the reason I kind of circle to that is people no longer want to work a nine to five job, right? And there are a lot of people out there, you know, including myself who have this grand vision and can find people to latch onto that with them and build together, right? And that's not like, again, I don't look at who as a job, I look at it as a lifestyle, right? This yeah. is, you know, we sleep and breathe this, right? Um, but as an, like, if I were, if I were just starting out right now, right? If I was a 19 year old kid, I mean, t- t- the power, the ability that you have to just start making money and running your own business as a 19 year old kid is just like, it's never happened before, right? And so when we talk about the creator economy, I mean, it's just, again, no one wants to go and work for someone else anymore. They can just do it themselves. So that's been the biggest change and difference in the world. I think that's, you know, yeah. you've seen kind of stem from what we're now calling the creator economy is more and more people that you're going to see are, again, not going to want to go and work. They're going to want to go and do it their way, which is awesome, right? Yeah. And I wish I had that, that luxury, right, um, at the very beginning. And I think, um, you know, looking at other platforms and, you know, where everything's moving, you know, again, relating this back to, you know, being a business, that's what a creator is, is, you know, at the end of the day, paywalls, right? There's going to be a paywall on everything. And yeah. You're starting to see that with Instagram and with Snapchat. Twitter, or, micropayments, everything mm-hmm, happening there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's so fascinating. And we could talk all day yeah, course, a, a, about course, that. Yeah. And I know just in, in regards to today's conversation, like we'll definitely have more time to dive into all things creator economy uh, here in the future. But last question before we wrap up here, Cassin, is just when you think about the future of Hubi, the future of the creator economy, what gets you excited? And like, what are you and the team most excited about moving forward? So I think a lot of, um, a lot of people that, that know what Hubi is, right? I think even them, right? They, they bunch us up into uh, this, this category, which is quote unquote, link in bio, right? Um, where I get excited about Hubi is what we realize is that starts with real estate, right? And, and that's kind of phase one. Um, so we wanted to build in, you know, an ecosystem, something that helps creators not only, you know, become more successful, but helps them, you know, essentially start earning money, right? And that there's direct monetization features and things like that, that we've already brought into the platform. But one thing that I've never seen anyone do in this space, right, is the marketplace. And so yeah. if you're hearing this, here's your first hint that <laughs> next couple of weeks we got um, something big coming out on that front. And I think that's going to take us from, you know, one direction that everyone sees us in and it's going to allow us to veer off where no one's going to be able to kind of really box us there anymore. Uh, but most importantly, um, I think it's going to be such an added value to the Hubi community and to everyone that continues to join and, you know, be a part of this awesome thing that we got going on. Totally. Um, so yeah, next few weeks we got some pretty big announcements and the next few months are going to be definitely life-changing. Yeah. Well, I am looking forward to that for, for everyone that's watching or listening. If they want to, you know, learn more about Hubi, stay connected with you, even potentially get their own Hubi link. Uh, what's the best way to connect with you, the Hubi team and just everything you have going on? Yeah. Any questions for me, uh, feel free to reach out on Instagram at Cassin Ward, C-A-S-I-N-W-A-R-D. I'm sure uh, Casey will link it. Yep. 
And for Hubi, um, just at HOO.be everywhere. Um, TikTok, Instagram, all of that. If you want your own Hubi, um, best bet is to send us a DM and uh, just say you saw this podcast, use the uh, keyword Casey. Love we'll it. make sure you get taken care of. And you know, right now we are doing a subscription, uh, but we'll make sure we knock that subscription off for you too. So just keyword Casey. Love that. Well, Kasson, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. It's been, me, it's been such a pleasure seeing how you and your whole team at Hubi have continued to grow. And for everyone watching or listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and I will talk to you guys soon. Boom. Thank you, sir.